Blog Talk Radio. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the president and founder of the West Foundation. West, 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 West Foundation. West, Foundation. West, what is West? West, 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 West stands for Working People Success. What we want to do Working People Success. Working People Success. What we want to do is we want to impart on these young people that we have opportunity to, uh, to coach, 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 that you got to work every day. You got to work every day. To be successful, you can't take any days. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't take any days off. Even when you don't feel like getting it done, you got to get out there and do it. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands, the West Foundation uh, Sports Talk Show. Um, it is Tuesday, April the twentieth. Man, it's been such a day. Um, of course, the big news is that we got a verdict on the George Floyd case, and it came back with three guilty verdicts. Um, sentencing will be in about six to eight weeks, um, but it was three guilty verdicts. They were only deliberating uh, for about 10 hours. Uh, so it came back rather quickly. And uh, praying for that family uh, of George Floyd, uh, but also praying for Chauvin's family as well. Again, they're, they're losing a family member um, to jail. Again, I believe he deserves to go to jail, uh, but still praying for that family. Today, you know, uh, of course, it's, we're going to have a different day-to-day just because of uh, all the things that's going on. Uh, but nonetheless, just, just still, we, we're all about the kids and just want to talk a little bit about the West Foundation and, and what we're all about. So if you have not heard of us, here's a little bit about what we are attempting to do. The biggest thing is we want kids to understand that they can be successful without being a professional athlete. Now, we want these kids to chase that dream because I believe there's so much that could be learned from chasing that dream. But at the same time, it is also important for them to understand that at one point, your playing career is going to end. Your sport is going to end. And that may be for some at the end of high school. Uh, For some, it will be in college. Uh, For others, they might get an opportunity to, uh, as we say, a cup of coffee uh, in the league. Others are going to have a long career in the league. But let's face it, a long career in the league is 10 years. So regardless of when, you're going to be – late 20s, even if you have a long career, late 20s, early 30s, um, when it's time to do something else. So our goal is to help these young people put themselves in position 
where they can be successful. We want to equip them with some tools that will help them be successful. Now, how do we do that? The first thing that we do is we have a free football and cheerleading camp. Um, it's usually the last weekend in June. This year it's going to be June 26. Now, what makes our camp different is that I will have a few guys that played with me come in and coach, but most of our coaches are guys that played for me at my various stops. Um, so just going backwards, I coached at Coastal Carolina, University of Texas San Antonio, University of South Carolina, the Citadel, North Carolina State, um, Ohio University, and Elon College. So young men from all of those places are going to come in and be the coaches. Now, why is that important? I think it's important because, one, it gives the kids a vision of success. It's an opportunity uh, that some of these kids, they, they had the opportunity to see them play in their stadium, whether it was Williams-Brice, Johnson Haygood, um, Brooks Stadium right there in Conway, or they had opportunity to see them on TV, or both. But now they get opportunity to see them, and now they're there working with them. And then the thought process could be, hey, if this guy has been successful, I can do it as well. And sometimes that's all a kid knows, or excuse me, needs, is to know that he has a chance to be successful. And, you know, we sort of started this because I heard so many kids say that I have to make it to be to do it better for my family, which is so far from the truth. The other thing was I saw so many kids that were talented enough to play on a collegiate level but didn't do what they're supposed to do in a classroom. So the combination of kids thinking that I have to make it professionally to put my family in a better situation and kids not necessarily uh, – doing the best that they can in the classroom so they can get that opportunity to play on the college level, led us to the West Foundation. So I believe the answer for both of those things is education. Everybody's not going to be fit for that traditional four-year education, but there still has to be some learning involved, whether you go to trade school um, or the military, there's still learning there. And I think with that learning, you can set yourself up to be successful. And that's what we want to do, help these kids set themselves up to be successful. The other thing that we do is we have a Life Beyond Sports series. Um, And that's a series of life skills where we talk about financial literacy, which is really the headline for the night, Um, being that April is Financial Literacy Month. So I believe that if you're financially literate, regardless of how much money you make, you have an opportunity to be successful. Second thing we talk about a lot is mental wellness. Now, the issue with mental wellness is that I think from an athletic standpoint, it's not talked about enough Um, because most of the time as an athlete, you're taught to be the big, tough guy. You got to fight through pain. Nothing's going to bother you when at times you need to let it, they need to know that it's okay to not be okay and have that conversation with somebody. We also talk about character. We talk about leadership. We talk about interacting with police officers. We talk about etiquette. These are all things that will help kids be successful, and that's what we're looking to do, help kids be successful. Again, if they have an opportunity to play um, at the professional level, we want them to do everything that they need to do to get to that point. But the key is 
even if they don't make it, the things that they're able to do to put themselves in that position, that that will carry over into the workforce and that will allow them to be successful regardless of what they want to do. As always, I like to go with the thought of the day. And this sort of ties into uh, what's happened today with that verdict and it's do the right thing. There are times when everybody is faced with, hey, can do this and I probably can get away with it, or even though I know it's not the right thing. But just do the right thing. I have something that I always talk to my players about. And one of my rules that I had in in the running back room or the tight end room was do the right thing. So then the question is, how do I know if I'm doing the right thing or not? Three simple questions. Am I hurting somebody? If you're hurting somebody, then you're not doing the right thing. Okay, and I'm not talking about on the football field where I'm just playing as hard as I can. But if I'm hurting somebody, I probably shouldn't do it. The second thing is, do I have to hide it? If you're hiding it, then it's probably not the right thing. And then the last thing is, put yourself in a parental situation. Would I want my kid to do it? And once again, if I wouldn't want my kid to do it, then it's probably not something that I should be doing. But if you would sit back and just think about those three things before you do something that you think might not be the right thing, that if I'm hurting somebody, I shouldn't do it. If I have to hide it, I shouldn't do it. Would I want my kids to do it? And if I wouldn't want my kids to do it, I shouldn't do it. Those are just some of the things that you should think about um, if you cross that road and you're sitting there and you're debating with yourself, should I do this? The bottom line is do the right thing. Today, um, again, we with, I had opportunity to, to listen to some of the closing arguments on both sides. And one of the things that the defense talked about was being a reasonable police officer, police officer doing a reasonable thing. The the thing that he talked about was, you know, knowing the background of situations. That's one of the things that police officers have to do. Knowing the area of where things are happening, that's something else that he has to do. Here's one of the things that we have to make sure of, and I say we, people have to make sure of, that in a situation, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, the likelihood of some things happening will probably diminish. And again, I'm not saying that that people that had some things happen to them was their fault. But if they're doing the things that they know they should be doing, the likelihood would not be as high. Um, so it's one of those things that it, there is no absolutes. I know there's plenty of situations where people were doing the things that they were supposed to be doing. They they were adhering to what they were asked to do, and bad things still happened. Um, but my thought process is if I'm going to do the things that I'm supposed to be doing, the likelihood is going to be less. 
So make sure that you put yourself in a situation where that likelihood would be less. Again, there are no guarantees. Now, this week, one of the things, this is actually the last Tuesday, uh, the next to last Tuesday, excuse me, before we go to the draft. There's so many thoughts about what's going to happen with the draft. Um, I think everybody would be surprised if Trevor Lawrence is not the first pick of the draft, and that's what everybody is anticipating. Um, so we'll see if that holds up. But after that, I think it's really up in the air. You know, you look at different mock drafts, and some of them have Zach Wilson going next. Some of them have Justin Fields going next. So you don't know which one which one is going to be. From a the next pick, which uh, one of the mock drafts I was looking at is Kyle Pitts, who, who was a really, really good player down at Florida. And he's that tight end receiver hybrid guy um, that can make some things happen. Uh, after that, you know, you're going to have a couple other wide receivers. You, you wonder where the LSU wide receivers, the Alabama wide receivers are going to fall. Um, they're going to fall somewhere in there. If you're always going to have some old linemen go in the top ten, and I think that probably the top two is going to be uh, the Sewell kid out of Oregon and the Slater kid out of uh, Northwestern. Cornerback-wise, um, who's going first? Is it going to be Sertan from Alabama? Or is it going to be J.C. Horn out of South Carolina? Uh, both of them are really good cornerbacks, and, and we'll see where they fall. And then other quarterbacks, you got Trey Lance from North Dakota State and Mac Jones. How far down would they fall? So there's a lot of questions about what's going to happen in the draft. And, and as you know, we don't know until it happens. And some of that stuff can be a chain reaction where somebody picks somebody and all of a sudden, you know, that they sort of change their mindset. Um, so it's going to be interesting what happens with that. And, uh, it's going to be fun to watch, but we got another week and a half, um, not quite two weeks, before we get ready for that draft. And, you know, this past week, we saw uh, a lot of things that, that's going on. And right now, sports is sort of taking a backseat today to, to the news that's happened. And uh, I'm sure... It's still going to move forward. I'm sure we're going to hear from a lot of people about their thoughts. Uh, but I think one of the big things that that is true and that we have to collectively, um, as a community and as a nation, do a better job of is just making sure that we're held accountable. Um, you know, if you're doing the things, and it goes back to the thought of the day, if you're doing what's right, then you've got a better chance of things being uh, happening in a, in a positive manner. But there's sometimes on a team when you see your teammate doing something that you know that's not right. So what do you do? Am I going to stand by him because he's my teammate? Am I going to tell him that he's not right? What does that culture look like? And I think collectively, if we will go ahead, and I know sometimes you're going to say, well, what is right? 
But there's some things that are black and white. You know it's, it goes back to those three things. If I'm hurting somebody, you know it's not right. If you got to hide it, if I wouldn't want my child to do it. But I think we all have a, a responsibility to those, that, to those that we're close to. And as I used to ask some of my guys, are you being a good teammate or are you being a friend? A friend, stand by that guy. A teammate, now we're looking as a team collectively. And I might, you know, again, you don't always have to be open and boisterous, but I might just pull him aside and say, dude, we don't do that around here. That's not the way we do things. And sometimes you have to step up and do that because it's going to be the good collectively as a unit instead of just saying that, hey, that's my boy, so, hey, I'm not going to say anything to him. But, hey, we're going to listen a little bit of Eric Thomas, and then we'll be back with our, our first guest. But, again, it is Financial Literacy Month. That's, that is April. So today we're going to concentrate a lot on financial literacy, and we're going to have some good conversations on that. So hold on a few, and we'll be back in a few. What do you got to do to separate yourself? What time is that? What time are they getting up? Good. So you need to be up at least by what? Seven. Am I better than the other motivational speakers? I don't know if I'm more talented than them. I just know I get up at three o'clock and put my videos out first. I just know I do five a day. So if you're actually better than me, nobody will know. I'm separating myself. I'm putting myself out on Sunday night in the shy, but in the world, it's Monday. So what are you doing to separate yourself? Two, three more. Talk to me. What are you doing? Wake up early. I love it. What are you doing? Accountability. Coach ain't got to tell you. Your mama ain't got to tell you. Your daddy ain't got to tell you. But that's what happens when you got an entitled spirit and you think you're there already. You don't hold yourself accountable. Just because a man is on top one day, it don't mean he's going to be on top forever. And just because you're not on top today don't mean you ain't going to be on top forever. Like, don't try to be something. Like, don't listen to stuff on and try to be something you're not. All right? Don't be like a studio gangster. Right? For real, some of y'all, you come from good backgrounds. Like, embrace that. Some of y'all come from good homes, good parents. You got two parents at the crib. Or you got your mom and your dad both involved in your life. Your mom pray with you. And you get out the house trying to act like, you feel me? I, look, I, like I told y'all, I'm from this side. You can look up my birth certificate. I went to school, too, in Detroit. You can look it up. I don't got to act like I'm hard. I don't got to act like I'm nothing, like I'm going to be who I am. I don't care how much money I got. I don't care how much fame I got. We are humans. Be who you are, bruh. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, you come from the suburbs, you ain't got to claim like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're from the north side of Chicago, you ain't got to be you're from the suburbs, you ain't got to be like, yo, I'm from, I'm from the west side. You ain't got to try to claim something you're not or be something you're not. Like, be comfortable in your own skin is what I'm trying to tell y'all. That's how I blew up. So I'm myself, bro, and I'm comfortable with myself. I'm about 5'10 with my shoes on. I'm comfortable. Dude, like, are you sure? I'm comfortable. Married 5'10. Been married 30 years 5'10. Two beautiful kids 5'10. I don't need to be 6'6. That's your life. I see dudes 6'10", I'm like, you wasting it. You bragging about you 6'8", you wasting the height. I'm using all my 5'10", bruh. I'm using all of it. Not to be funny, I ain't never got beat up. 
I use all my five ten. I ain't been broke. I use all my five ten. I use my mouth. I don't dream to be five ten, uh, uh, six four. I love my life. Y'all gotta start loving your life. And whether you make it to the league or not, you are not you are not who you are because of the league. You are who you are because of who you are. And if you make it to the league, then the league is gonna be blessed with your presence. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Be comfortable in who you are. Be comfortable if y'all poor. If you come from a family right now that's broke, you use that, use that to your advantage. I use that to my advantage that I was a high school dropout, that I was homeless, that I ate out of trash can. I, I love dealing with a dude who think because he come from money, he better than me. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. You got money, but do you got that dog? Yeah, you got money, you got privilege, but do you got that dog? Can, do you got that stamina? So yeah, you might have something I don't have right now, but if I work hard, I can have what you have. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who, where you come from. My last name is Thomas. I represent my stepfather who stepped in my life because my old dude didn't want to be there. I represent him. I could change my name if I wanted to, but everywhere I go, I respect the man who came in for me when my father wasn't there for me. My mom was 17 years old, high school. They told her to get an abortion. I respect my mom for not getting an abortion, and so I respect the last name. Everywhere I go, I bring my mama pride. Everywhere I go, I bring my sister's pride. I bring my son's pride. Everywhere I go, I got kids, the decisions I make. My son has to deal with the decisions I make. My daughter has to deal with the decisions I make. Your mama and daddy and your family have to deal with the decisions you make. So tomorrow, you start training. Train like this, train like this, it's your life, not a game. Like this, your life. Like this, the last opportunity, the only opportunity. Give it everything you got. And if you fail, you can at least do what? Come on, you can say what? You tried. But if you don't go out there and give 120%, you're not a man. A man don't always put forth effort and accomplish his goals. As men, we fail too. We don't always do everything perfect, but if you're a real man, you try. I've always been there. I ain't trying to tell you I'm the man because I got money. I'm the man because I, I have a responsibility and I live up to my responsibilities. I give 120% of everything I do. That's all I'm asking you to do. So when you go out there, stop playing yourself. Don't disrespect this game. Don't dishonor this game. If you're going to go out there, don't go out there with just skill. Go out there with skill and go out there with will. When you are who you say you are, you don't even have to try to act like you are. That You don't even need a business card. Write that down. Get to a point where you don't even need no business cards. Write that down. And if they don't know you, it's because they, they not, they're in a different industry and they shouldn't know who you are. So I don't even get offended when people go, what up, E.T.? And the other person go, who's that? I'm like, he in a different industry. Like, he, you know what I'm saying? That's why he don't know me, because he don't necessarily need the motivation. If, are, are you feeling me? So we want to spend our energy on being what? Who you? So watch this. I'm about to blow your mind. That's what the 1% is. The 1% is live on their own terms. That's what the 1%ers are. The 1%ers don't care about what nobody else thinks. They're not concerned about what other people, they're not trying to impress nobody else. The 1%ers, all their energy goes into being who they are. That's it. Right? I'm going to show y'all something in a minute. It's going to blow y'all mind. All right? There's this new competition going on. I've seen it all over the internet. Right? So let's do this real quick. Let's do this real quick. I want to take my time. All right? Because I know some of you didn't pay for VIP, but I still want to give you the VIP experience. Right? So you're going to catch me right now. You may, you're not, probably not going to catch me in the second half. So I want to be able to give you as much as I can. Give me three or four characteristics. For real, for real. Don't try to be deep. I'm not asking for nothing deep. We're going to walk through this. What is a one percenter? Like what makes it, what, what's the difference between a one percenter? Like what do they have 
that most of the world, they don't have. Good. Discipline? Good. Okay, write that one down. That's the one to write down. Write that one down first. Yep. Freedom. Write that down. Let's take our time. Freedom. What kind of freedom? Financial freedom. Maybe number two or three. Write that down. Time is the first one. <laughs> when you in the 1%, you got, you got time. You got a lot. Of, you free. <laughs> you got, you on your own time. And I'm, listen to me. I'm not talking about those of you who are self-employed. That's different. You, own, you, you work for yourself, but you still don't have time. You still got to put in 12, 13 hours a day. You can't get up when you want to get up and do what you want to do. You still got to go to work, right? So, so the number one qualification for the 1% is they own their own time. Good. Well, so I don't know. Money could be, wealth could be one. Good. All right. Maybe two. Maybe I, I would say three, but we'll debate in a minute. What else do they have in terms of freedom? Good. Creativity, good. We could put that down somewhere. I don't know where you want to put it, but they are super creative. Super creative. Yep. I somebody else on that on the same one on freedom. Good. Consistency, all right, all right, all right. I'm looking for something specific. Good. Faith, okay, good. Faith. Good. Autonomy, yep. They got they own, they own everything. Write that down. If you are in business but you don't own it, something's wrong. You got like you should have at least 51%. You know what I'm saying? Or whoever you with is 50-50. Y'all decided y'all gonna 50-50, right? Some of you are doing things right now, you don't own it. That makes sense? You don't own the product. You might have like some software that's killing the game, but you don't own the software. So at any point, whatever you're doing, if somebody wanted to snatch that away from you, they can snatch that away. Does that make sense? How many of you are in a situation where you're doing very well? But you don't own the thing that is bringing you in the income. Let me see your hand. You don't own the thing. Raise your hand high. Let's raise your hand high. Good. So, that, so that, that's the goal, right? So for those of us who live in a house and we got electricity, the challenge is you don't own the electricity. So you pay your electricity bill, but if the electricity company was just like flat out, no more, we, we don't like you and we don't want to give you electricity no more, they could just cut you off, right? That's what that means. All right, here's the last one that I want you to get, relationships. Right. If you are in the one percent, hey girl, if you in the one percent, right, you have there's a freedom that you have in relationship. You pick up the phone, you can make some phone calls. All right. Good. What else? So we talked about wealth. We talked about this is the one percent autonomy. Right. Which is huge. Right. And so what I want you to do is just check on these ones. Check which ones you have, which ones you don't have. Just real quick. Check which ones you have, which ones you don't have. After you just put a check next to the ones you have, right? You don't put a check with the ones you don't have. We're going to come up with a plan. And here's what, here's what broke people do. Broke people wake up every day and focus on what? Getting money. Getting what? Getting money. Right? And I just told you, if you get money, you don't necessarily have the other stuff. But if you own your own time, you got all of that. <laughs> if you own your own time, you can't own your own time without having all the other stuff. So that's why we're going we're gonna to shift our focus. Broke people wake up and how much money do I, I need money. You don't, you don't need money when you're creative. You don't need money when you're creative. You need money when you're broke. When you're creative, you don't need money. Why? Because you can wake up and create something that can make you $10 million. If you're creative, so you're spending so much of your time trying to make money that you're not focusing on what you're supposed to focus on. So give me a scrap sheet of paper. And let's really write out 
what would it look like? You know what I'm saying? What would, what would, what would my life look like if I was really in the 1%? What would it look like? And again, that's why I said be careful because you can start getting on the internet and you can start making it look like something that is not. And I'm not telling you not to market yourself. I'm not telling you not to be creative. But I'm saying don't get to a point where it's a thin line and you lying to yourself. And you're waking up lying. You're waking up doing activities to make other people feel a certain way. And then you looked up and your whole life now has become about making people feel a certain way about you. I'm telling you, invest your time in really making what you wrote down happen so that that can happen and then they're going to see it. There are those of you in this room, please don't buy another pair of shoes to impress somebody that don't really like you. Please don't buy another piece of accessory for somebody that don't like you. Please don't buy another car to get people to affirm you that don't really care about you. Can we make, the re- can we make a vow to make the rest of your life about you and your family and don't buy nothing else for nobody else? Don't go get yourself in debt. Don't go buy nothing else. Don't get nothing enlarged for somebody who will not really care about you. I'm just being real. Like you're doing all of that for somebody to affirm you when at the end of the day they still ain't going to affirm you over the stuff. They're still only going to love you for real, for real because of, who you, because of who you are. So can we get to a point where we can just live an authentic life? Because when C talked about the superpower, that's what the superpower is. When he said, know your superpower, at the end of the day, your superpower is when you are your authentic self. That's your superpower is when you're you. If I'm going to be like anybody else, it's not going to work. So any other speaker that get up here, I don't care what they say, how they say what they say. I'm not going to try to say it. I'm not going to try to do it. I'm going to be who I am. And at the end of the day, if you are your authentic self, that's the 1%. There's 1% of us that don't care about what nobody else say or think about us. We're going to be our authentic self. That's what the 1% is. That's why I'm the number one motivational speaker in the world. It don't mean nobody else ain't number one. I'm number one. Why? Just because I'm being myself. So, so, so before I go into these quick principles, I'm just being real. You have a better chance of being your authentic self. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. And today we have Mr. Jerome Hurt with us. Jerome, how's everything going? Everything's going good, brother. Good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, I thank you for joining us. It is April. It is Financial Literacy Month. And we get to talk a little bit about financial literacy. Um, If you don't mind, tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about your background before we get into that. Sure. Um, Well, I am the founder and CEO of Buy Black for Life. Buy Black for Life is a platform where we created it so that um, BIPOC business owners can market their business to um, individuals of the BIPOC community. I did that because as a 30-year financial professional working with wealth clients, I saw how wealthy clients used their um, wealth to keep communities like ours oppressed by either supporting policies or politicians that seek to oppress us. So I knew that we needed to do something different, that we needed to stop supporting those who don't support us, 
stop putting our money with businesses that don't support us. The wealth gap, um, especially during the pandemic, has actually widened to the point where the black dollar within ours has left the community. We need to find ways by doing business with each other to keep the black dollar circulating in the black community. This way we can close the generational gap, wealth gap, number one. Number two, we can create ownership with respect to businesses, home ownership, and things of that sort. Right. Okay. The uh, now um, that's your business. What about your, what? How did you get to that point? What have you done? You say you you been in the industry for thirty years. What all of you uh, thirty years been doing? Yeah. Um. You know, I, I worked for the largest um, most of my career with the largest retirement company in the world, um, TIAA. We managed the retirement for teachers and professors of higher learning institutions. Um, mm-hmm. I worked with the, like I said, with the wealth clients, um, and, um, you know, I started off, believe it or not, working in a supermarket, in the banks in the supermarket, um, where as an investment professional, if you came in the supermarket and you're looking for something for dinner, I would approach you to engage you in a, to a, in a conversation about either an investment or life insurance or you know, you know, even a right. bank account. So, um, you know, I started out that way, and I, I excelled at it, surprisingly. But, you know, even in excelling at it, I recognized and realized the gap between knowledge that I saw with people of color versus um, non-people of color, and I had a strong desire from that day to not only build my knowledge but also get out into the community so I could teach um, financial literacy, which is so valuable. Because honestly, if, if, let's think about this, right? When we talk about financial literacy, our people have a deep financial literacy problem. What do I mean? Look at athletes. We, we think it's just money, right? How many African-American right. athletes within three years of retiring go bankrupt, right? That's, yeah. that, that's not a money problem. That is a financial literacy problem, right? Yeah. Um, how many people who won lotto, for example? I, I think it's, it's in the high 80 or 90% of the people who win lotto, all of a sudden they file for bankruptcy. Again, I could tie that not to the money issue, right? I could tie that to a literacy issue. Um, Mike Tyson, right. perfect example. In his career, the purses that he got from boxing went up into the billions, right? Mike Tyson was broke. That's a literacy, a financial literacy issue. So when we have, when we are able to um, bring literacy to our communities, we are able to flip some things. For example, we are able to say, I don't need those $600 sneakers or shoes. Right? right, I can invest that money, and I can now buy a home. I can purchase a home and invest in a home. Right, I don't need that thousand dollar bag. Right, I can make sure 
that I'm paying the life insurance premiums so that if I, ha- if I pass away, my family does not have to do a GoFundMe, right, which is not life insurance. So these are the things that we have to get um, literacy behind because the appearance of wealth, and I'm talking about Gucci, Louis Vuitton, all of these, that's the appearance of wealth, right? And I'm yeah. telling you, really wealthy people don't mess with that. Right. Real talk. Really wealthy yep. people who are wealthy do not do not show their wealth. But we, mm-hmm. and I've seen it even in my group, we think that that is the appearance of wealth because we have a name brand that it, it, it costs some people's rent money, and we're going to wear that on us. That gives us the appearance of wealth. Well, you know, I would rather be wealthy as opposed to the appearance of wealth, and that's what we have to work on. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? Um, I was reading in a, a book, and I don't recall which one it was, but it, it said that most of the people that look like they have money don't have money because they spend all their money trying to look like they have money. Yes, sir. We call that hood rich. <laughs> yep. Yeah. In New York, I, I'm in New York. That's what we call it. They, they're hood rich, right? They, they're in the hood and they're, they're, they they look clean, right? They they look clean, right. and, and and God bless them, right? However, um, they can't pay their rent, and right. you know you are renting instead of owning, and and you know when I talk about wealth, right? For me as a professional, it starts with ownership of property. It was a reason why um, they did not want us as people of color to participate in home ownership because home ownership leads directly to wealth. And we have got to understand that. My son, I have a son. He's in Charlotte, North Carolina. As a matter of fact, next week he will be 33 years old. He, He got a brand new car in 2004. 2004, and my son is still driving that car, but you know what? On his 27th birthday, he bought his first home. And him and I talk all the time. He's like, he says, Dad, I can buy any car that I want to right now. But his Mm -hmm. mindset is, but I would rather buy another house. My car is getting me from where I have, from point A to point B. Who am I showing off for? So I -hmm. would rather purchase another home and make it an investment home as opposed to me tying myself down to a car note. That's right. about literacy. That's about recognizing the fact that a declining asset, a vehicle, is not going to get him to the goal that he desires to be, and that goal he desires to be is to be financially wealthy and independent before he turns age 50. He's working on it, right. and I'm here for it all. The, here's, here's how I look at buying the, quote, unquote, real expensive car. You buy that for one while. Because the first yeah. time people see you, they're going to be like, wow. After that, yeah. oh, that's just effort. That's just the wrong yeah. Yes. So for one while, yeah. you're going to spend all that money on that car. So yeah, uh, and, and of course that's the depreciating asset. Yes, 
people don't understand that part, you know. Um, and and if you talk to a lot of professional athletes, for example, that do go broke, that's one of the things they talk about that they wish they had done differently. They went out and they, you can't, you, you, if you have six cars, why why do you need six cars? Like you said, that's for the one while, right? And, right. and you know, it's a conversation I had with, a, with my brother, and, I, and he said to me, yeah, I would love to own six cars. For what? I, yeah. I just I just need one vehicle to get me to and from where I need to go, and I'm okay. And if that vehicle works, then it works. And, you know, living in New York, right, because of mass transit, there's not that significant need for a vehicle. So I tell a lot of clients, depending upon what their situation is, leasing is certainly much better than owning. Because right. if you lease, you can get it. In, you can get in at a lower number, and you're not driving that car every day. You're driving that car maybe on the weekends. So why do you mm-hmm. need to tie yourself to a seven seven year car payment that might even be the same amount of your mortgage or your rent? It doesn't make sense. So um, yeah, the, the, owning a car is a declining. It doesn't make sense. I'm sure there are classic cars out there that you can get, mm-hmm. in, but but you know, put it into a home. You know, and you, you as you do work on that home and the community around you begins to grow. Then what happens is that that asset actually appreciates in ways that you've never even conceived. And then imagine keeping a home that's paid for in your family and for generations to come and that's something that they can each go to and live in as they you know and not have to worry about a huge mortgage over their head that's something Mm -hmm. i've seen in other families and again with dealing with clients that's what i'm saying that's how they use their wealth they take their wealth and they invest it in real estate and now that they have multiple homes and then kids are getting grown, they can put this kid here and he can work and not have to worry about a huge mortgage. And he can save his money so that when he's ready to now start a family, he he has enough money in the bank and he could go on to the next. And, you know, they can hold on to that house for the next one after that. You're seeing it at, in communities that don't look like us. That's mm-hmm. what we have to be able to participate in. And when we're able to participate in it, we're able to close the wealth gap. So in your mind, what's the first thing we need to do to help close that wealth gap? Um, ownership of real estate, point blank. Um, let's, let's uh, well, actually, I'm sorry. Let, let's teach people about money, right? Let's, let's have conversations about money. Let's sit down and give people a full understanding of money, full understanding of how credit works, um, a full understanding of how the stock market works, right? Um, I, I remember a year ago, and I, I, I dealt with COVID, and I almost died from COVID a year ago. And I remember a friend of mine posted something on her page, and I'm sure you may have seen it via social media where she said, Poor people are worried about toilet paper. Rich people are out here making money off of the stock market, a declining stock market off of that. And I got upset at her. She was a former colleague of mine. And the reason I got upset at her is I said, you know, 
that's our responsibility as people of color to teach that literacy to our people because how many people are understanding what it is you're saying, right? How right. many people that they, they have no choice but to hustle for the toilet paper. They don't have that additional income to be able to invest in a down market, right? Because if right. you're not literal, literate on finances, you don't understand what a down market. You, you think to yourself, but the market's going down. How are people making money? So you have to start mm. with the basics, right? And they are, right. you know, there are multimillionaires that made a lot of money off of the market going down, a lot. And then there's Definitely. so much more of them as the market started to go up, which everybody knew that it was. They made even mm-hmm. more money off of the market going back up. But if we are literate, if we're teaching our people about money and how money works and creating habits on saving, having three to six months savings, right, in the bank, and I, if mm-hmm. we have those conversations and we create those habits, then the things like a declining market, I can get a call from people that look like me to say, Jerome, I noticed the market went down and that stock that I'm holding went down. I want to leverage it. I want to buy more shares. Great. But that's what I want you to do. When the market goes down, I want those telephone calls from my people saying the market's going down. I want to buy a bunch more shares than what I already own, and let's ride that thing back up. That's what I want people to do. But our mm-hmm. people don't have that financial literacy to know that that down market is an opportunity. As a matter of fact, when the market went down, I got calls, I'm ready, I'm ready to sell out of the market. And I had to explain to so many people, no, that's not what you're doing because you're locking in your losses. These are things mm-hmm. – that are about literacy. So it's about um, getting communities together, getting working with our elected officials so that we can have, and, and you know, I live in the district of AOC. Um, I know okay. with, the, um, with the, the white community, she may not be looked at in a positive way. She's in my community. When I had COVID, she knocked on my door to make sure I had groceries, okay? Right. She does so many wonderful things in the community. I'm I'm waiting for her to approve something that I can have in my community where I get out and I have conversations with my community about financial literacy. So Mm -hmm. when we can partner with our elected officials and have these conversations with our communities, okay, as professionals who are in the industry, or if we know people who are in the industry and they can come and they can speak to these things to our people in our communities, now we can start changing some habits, changing some things, the way that we look at things. And, again, my biggest thing, and it sticks in my core, is life insurance and having so many people using GoFundMe as if it's that's the life insurance policy. That, right. that to me right. – angers me more than anything about financial literacy. I have to be honest. All right. You talk about life insurance. How, how much yes. life insurance should a have? And what so kind I, should they get? I'm, I'm glad you asked that. And I'm going to answer that in two ways, right? And, and, and I, I want to be intentional, and I, I want you to hear what I mean when I'm saying. If 
you ever approach a financial professional like myself and you ask that question or you ask the question, what should I invest in, and they tell you, Mm -hmm. what I want you to do is turn around and run away, right? And here's the reason. I don't know what your life is like. We haven't sat down and done what I call a needs analysis. So via that Mm -hmm. needs analysis, right, I'm going to be able to tell what your insurable interests are. Do you own your home? Do you have credit card debt? Do you have kids that are either in the house, no longer in the house? Are you responsible for an older relative? There's so many things that encompasses that. And if, if me as a professional, if I just answered that, you need to worry that I'm, I'm, I'm just failing you as a professional. No, I, if I'm going to have that conversation with you. I need to sit down, and we call it to get to know you, right? It, mm-hmm. We need to sit down and have a conversation. And, and some of the time it takes, believe it or not, three conversations, right? And the first one is discovery, where we get to know some um, statistical data about you. We get to know about your children, ages of your children. Are you paying for private school? Are they going to public school? Do you have designs on either relocating, selling your home and moving somewhere? So many factors go into it. And then we have a conversation about the options, right? Is term good for you? Is whole life good for you? Um, and, and if one or the other, how much, right? And then we get mm-hmm. to the point where when you make, we, we, we give you the option, and then you come back for a third meeting, and that's, that third meeting is where we're like, okay, well, you know, we're giving you the options. Let's tighten this up and let's get more focused on what is it you want to do from here. So, and I mean no disrespect. I hope you don't take it that way, brother, but that's, oh no. Oh that's no. what I want you to be mindful of. Anybody that you answer that question. If you walk up to somebody and they say, hey, man, yeah, I see you're an investment professional or, you know, you sell life insurance. What kind of life insurance should I get? If they answer you, run, brother. Seriously. I mean, run. They mean you know well all they're trying to do is make sure that they get whatever payment they're going to get from the life insurance company that they pay they, they pay them in commissions off of you getting a policy with them. Right, right. As, uh, as we have this conversation, we're going back to the things we need to do to close this economic gap. Uh, yes. that's the, one of the first big thing is we've got to have this conversation about money. Yes, sir. Um, talked about how credit works, and I, and I imagine as you're talking about credit works that budgeting is going to be in there somewhere as well, right? Has to be. Has to be, yeah. Yeah. And, and budgeting is something um, that, that, you know, I love doing the budgeting piece, right? And when I do budgeting with people, what I do is I give them what I call, call a cash flow worksheet. And if you own a business, you understand what I talk about a cash flow worksheet because in order for you to budget, you got you to gotta know where your money is going, right? And I think the biggest curse to people who fail in property, properly budgeting their money are debit cards, right? We don't see it coming out of our account, so we just throw down the card. We'll deal with it later, mm-hmm. right? So people that have that issue, what I, what I do to them is say, 
I'm not telling you to cut up the card. I'm telling you to put the card away, whatever right. expenses you need for the week. So, for example, I, I would work in the city in, in, in Manhattan. In New York, we call the city Manhattan. We call Manhattan the city. And, you know, I may, for lunch, may cost me 20 to $25 a day to eat, right? So <laughs> let's say for five, for five days, let's say it's $20. I need $100. And I need a little right. bit more than that for me for for whatever expenses. So let's say I'm gonna do two hundred dollars a week, right? In cash. I'm telling right. that person, take out two hundred dollars in cash every week, put it in your wallet. The feeling and the difference of you putting that ATM card down as of putting that mm-hmm. cash down feels really different. Right? I mean I, I, I've had so many clients that said to me, after the first couple of days, they started bringing food from home. And that's what I want. Mm. I want them right. to see that and feel that, putting that 20 down and you getting change. You're not getting any paper change. You're getting some coins in your hand. Or for right. one meal. One meal, right? One. So I want mm. them to be able to feel that. You're not feeling that when you use the ATM card. There's no emotion when you use the debit yep. card. But when you put yep. cash yep. in, yep. bro, that emotion, man, that, that hits you really different, and you walk away feeling different. I kid you not, my best clients, after three days, would say to me, Jerome, man, I stopped using my – I stopped – I started cooking from home and bringing my lunch. And what I was able to do is, okay – so I'm, I want you to still take out that $200, but whatever it is that you end up not using at the end of the week, have that go into your savings account. So they're taking out the $200, but now they're turning around by the end of the week and they're putting 140 120 into their bank account because now they've created some different habits. Right. And it's a different – and when you have that feeling of being able to – it, there's a different feeling of taking money out of the bank than mm-hmm. you putting money in the bank, right? So now people right. are putting that cash back in the bank, right? And they're feeling different. They're like, man, this feels different. And not only that, now they're seeing that savings account and it's growing because mm-hmm. the $200 that they're taking out is from their paycheck and their paycheck is going into their checking account, but now they're funneling money now into their savings account. Now, now that I've created a habit that you're going to start now saving, now I can do more things with you. It's all about right. being able to change habits, change mindsets. And until mm-hmm. we get to doing that, until we work on that and create habits, when we get to do that, we're going to be much better off. And I know we can do it. I've seen it. I've been right. witness to it. Mm-hmm. Now, the are you – do you go on the guidelines 80-10-10 as far as live off the 80-10% for ties, charity, 10% savings, or, or what is your mindset? It varies. I, I, there, there is no specific formula. And, and okay. the reason I say that, and, and, you know, the reason I say that, again, that's why it's so important that you do the cash flow worksheet, right? And when I say that mm-hmm. to clients doing the cash flow worksheet, what I tell them is, what you were doing last month, I need you to do it this month. 
Use the ATM right. card, right? Um, but hold mm-hmm. on to those receipts. I need them to be real about this, right? And right. once they're real about that, then all of a sudden, because also goals matter, right? You could sit down mm-hmm. with me and you say, brother, I would like to buy a house in three years. So your savings level is going to be different than the person who would like to buy a house in 10 years, right? right. So that formula is different. Always 10% for God. That That is an always non-negotiable, right? That's always. Mm-hmm. But again, when you do that cash flow worksheet, and it, I, I have people do it for three months, when you do that cash flow worksheet, one of the things I also notice by month three is I notice that um, they start, that's where the changes of habits start to come because as they're at the end of the month starting to, you know, fill out the worksheet and seeing where their money is going, you know, month number two, now they're aware. They're like, wait, that's a waste, right? And, mm-hmm. and when I say a waste, for example, how many people now, instead of having cable TV stream, right, instead of paying right. high bills, of cable television, you stream everything. That's that's great. Um, my wife and I have been talking forever to get rid of our house telephone. We don't right. use it. Why are we paying for it if we don't use it? We have cell phones. No one. Exactly. I mean, that thing hasn't rung in a year. Like seriously. So <laughs> why has it? And you know, we had even if even if you have cable, are you watching? every single channel, there are ways that you can even cut back on it um, to create a savings plan. Um, there are so many things that you could look at doing and people don't even realize it until they looked at that cash flow worksheet. So for me, in terms of budgeting, that cash flow worksheet, it has so many purposes that I can use. It's not even funny, and I love it. Okay, well, good. Well, hey, the uh, our time has come. I know you got another call that you got to get on, but at some point, I definitely want to get you back on uh, to join us again, and we can talk a little bit more about this financial literacy. Okay. Listen, I'm, I'm here for it for you. Whatever you need, please reach out. Um, Buy Black for Life is really starting to do some amazing things community-wise. Um, however I can support you, I'm, I'm here for it. All you have to do is say, this is when I have an opening. Um, by the grace of God, my wife and I are finally going on vacation next week, so I'm unplugging from it all. But I'm here for whatever it is you need, brother. Hey, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few. Today, more than ever, we think about the air our family breathes. You and your family need to count on your home's air to be clean, free from harmful bacteria, and safe from the coronavirus. Nano air filters are the defense system your home HVAC system needs. Our filter media is created with a super fine spider-like material which captures particles as small as the virus. Standard home filters are just far too porous to do the job. So make the healthy choice and upgrade your air filters today by visiting nanoairsolutions.com.
How's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands from Westside Sports Talk Show. I have Mr. James Hawkins and Mr. Dale Hawkins that's going to join us as we continue this talk about financial literacy. James and Dale, how's everything going? Man, everything's going great. great. Incredibly great. Everything's going great. Well, good, good. We'll start with we'll start with James, and then I'll go to Dale. James, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm uh, originally from Miami, Florida, moved out to South Carolina, uh, military service, uh, 25 years of service. I was introduced to the industry about 13, 14, about 14 years ago through Prime America, and I've, uh, since then became an independent agent, fell in love with the fact that I get an opportunity not only to grow but help folks. And uh, over the years, I, uh, I've just really developed a passion for what it is we do in the financial service industry because simply what we do is we solve problems. We mitigate um risk and we solve problems and we we just get ahead of what's ahead and I you know I've been fortunate enough to meet some great people like the gentleman on the line who's been a great mentor to me Mr. Dale Hawkins but uh, that's about it man and I just love what it is I do I'm currently residing in Miami Florida now cool cool Dale how about yourself yes I've been uh, in the industry for about 34 years I retired as a registered financial consultant about 12 years ago partnered with National Financial Group because I had such a demand on my client, and we built an incredible employment agency with final expense um, up and down the East Coast from New Jersey to Georgia, and uh, we have about 300 workers in that deal and did about $10 million last year in uh, final expense sales, servicing customers from our television advertisement, and uh, I'm readily available and anxious to help the 
um, network of the community advance using a tool that I know that works that makes all the difference in the world. And so that tool underlines like what the Rockefellers would do uh, involves life insurance. So uh, I'm just excited about uh, this show and speaking to you today and James inviting me on and the gentleman spoke earlier about a budget. Thank you. I want a wonderful wife and uh, two adult children and just uh, rock no. and roll. Well, good, good. Uh, you, you're talking about life insurance, so let's talk about life insurance as an asset. Um, is it an asset? Um, is it just something to uh, bury your loved ones? Or, or what, what, in your mind, life insurance? Talk a little bit more about life insurance. It's the most incredible tool in the world that you can take the most valuable asset that God's given you, your life, and to be able to put a price tag on it for literally pennies on the dollar. And ultimately, that particular vehicle allows you to be able to have your life worth as much as you can qualify to get and be able to have that particular program in place for some specific reasons. Number one, it becomes a tremendous, tremendous savings tool. Uh, Number two, it becomes a tremendous, tremendous retirement tool. Uh, Number three, a retirement supplement tool. And number three, it becomes an incredible estate uh, program to transfer wealth to the next generation. So I view it uh, as a tremendous asset and a way to leverage your most valuable asset, which is your life. And so with that understanding, that particular program, when you are able to buy the right kind that includes all those things in one place, I think there's a win-win-win for the customer. I want to make sure that everyone understands that if you only buy a temporary policy and you do not uh, affix that policy in a permanent status, there's a 98% chance that you'll never use that policy. But the 2% chance that you will, meaning that you died in an accident or you had a critical care illness uh, that was life-threatening and took your life, your family would be incredibly engraced for that, and you would have been able to transfer wealth to the next generation, whether it's 100000 or whether it's $10 million. Uh, but I'm an advocate to say that most people to qualify for that particular type of coverage, uh, your life expectancy is you're probably going to live. So I would make sure that you have some type of a cash accumulation within that same contract that gives you guarantees, and then beyond that, to be able to take care of if life happens, and one in four will become a critical illness of some sort, cancer, heart disease, stroke, or uh, one in five will have a long-term care illness. And so I'd like to have that particular contract that covers all those things in one place, and that customer mm-hmm. has a peace of mind to go to bed at night. Now, that being said, um, you can't find all that in one place except for one or two companies in America of the 2,000 companies okay. out there, or you'll find yourself purchasing multiple programs. And so I just want people to get an understanding so that they'll make a decision to know that, hey, look, when they go to bed at night, they're worth $500,000. And ultimately, yeah. guide that asset until they're actually able to accumulate that kind of money or build those type of assets or uh, be able to pass that to the next generation. And 500000 is just an example. Uh, if we can get people to start earlier, when they're younger, they can absolutely unequivocally uh, take advantage of the advantages of your age. And so hopefully that gives you an overall synopsis. Um, I didn't want to speak too much, but I'll answer any questions 
uh, that you may have for the audience. I just thank God for you uh, being in a position to have this kind of forum where you're talking about this. Um, I know right. for a true fact that 60% of the people uh, in the 50 to 85 years of age range, uh, they don't have anything in, place, anything in place. And I do know for a true fact that the other uh, 40% of the population, half of them are grossly underinsured. So to have James Hawkins is out there uh, that's telling this story, man, this does my heart good, and I want to do whatever I can do to help support as many of those individuals as I can. Thank you. All right. Now, let me ask this question, because I've, I've had a conversation with somebody once that well, – actually, I'm going to go to um, Dave Ramsey. Um, his thought is that you want to build enough wealth where I don't need life insurance. Um, so just – and I listen to his podcast at times where he's talking about buy term. You know, pay everything off, build your wealth where you don't need life insurance, and when the term is over, you don't need it anymore. What is your thought on that? My thought on that is that Dave Ramsey is absolutely correct, but he's only correct for 1% of the population. And so for that person that can live like a hermit, they can pay off all their bills, not buy any cars, pay off all their credit cards, save every dime that they have to become financially secure, that model works. Unfortunately, 99% of people in America are not cut from that fiber. So you have to have a little bit more leniency in place that allows them to do what's called a forced type of savings, a forced type of estate plan, a forced type of retirement program. And so with that understanding of people, um, the middle America market, um, not the top echelon 1%, um, this model would work well for um, I'm an advocate of Dave Ramsey to get you started, to pay attention. As the gentleman spoke earlier about getting yourself on a budget and watching where your money's going. And there's a term insurance policy that may be available, but most of the time it comes to your job. I'm the kind of guy that understands the insurance companies, and they, they're better than any casino in the world. And uh, they're able to, two risk business in the world, the banks and insurance companies, and the insurance companies collect premiums and try not to pay. When you buy that term policy, there's a 98% chance over 10, 20, 30-year period of time that you'll never collect any money. And all those right. monies and profits goes to the insurance company. So I want people to have a policy that's going to be in place whether, they're, whether they die at 25 or 125. So uh, right. I hope that helps with the answer to that question. Okay. All right. Now, the next question, um, also to also see some people that – work on a job for 30 years. They have insurance through their job, and they're like, well, I got insurance. I got it through my job. Um, do they need to get other insurance outside of that? Or Because I think some people get caught when they retire, but now they don't have any insurance. So how, what's the best way to tackle that and get people to understand that? That's a great question, and you're absolutely correct. Um, people that have a job that buy insurance or get insurance in a group status, they need to find out first whether that insurance is transportable after they leave employment or whether it's actually able to be converted to a permanent program. About 90% of the time the answer to that is no, and so if that's unequivocally the answer, I recommend that people get a policy uh, outside of their employment because there's no guarantee they're going to be in that employment until they retire, number one. And number two, if they do retire from the employment, they don't have to be 
30 years older trying to apply and qualify for a coverage that they could have possibly gotten a preferred status uh, 20 or 30 years ago. So I recommend that 90% of the people get an insurance contract that they own outside of their job that has nothing to do with the job. Now, you can payroll deduct the premiums uh, from the job if they will allow someone to come in and offer permanent coverage individually. But outside of that, I recommend them seeking an individual policy. Okay. I'd like like to chime in on that as well. All right. Cool. One of the things that – one of the things the employee don't do it is it's not a customized plan. And I, what mm-hmm. it is, they have programs, different programs based on your position, based on your income. But your situation at home, everybody's job situation is about the same at home. So what you're able to do exactly. by getting insurance outside of the job is to address the, the things that can to help mitigate any type of risk. Job insurance is primarily designed as a benefit, a plan. It's an incentive. For the, the employee, and right. it does not really address your situation at home in terms of the adequate income you need in, the, in, in order for premature demise. So it goes back to what Mr. Hawkins said earlier. When should you start thinking about purchasing insurance? First of all, definitely when you have a family. Second of all, first when you start working, when somebody else is dependent on you. And there are advantages in starting early getting those things, and one of the things Mr. Hawkins said as well, diversification when it comes to insurance. A lot of us, we buy insurance, but we don't diversify. And what he simply means, what he said, he elaborated on extremely well. I just want to reiterate this here. Is that way, when one falls off, the other one steps in. Because one is designed right. for a period, one is designed to be there for the rest of your life. So, yeah, you right. should always, always, because if you don't, you know, I always tell people this here. You pay for your auto insurance. Why are you depending on your job? You don't know what your job What Always own insurance outside of your job. It's, it's, it's a must. Right. Okay. So when you're saying diversify, so are you saying that you should own both a term and a permanent policy? No. Uh, as Mr. Hawkins uh, explained earlier, there's a way to go about doing all of that in one program. Okay. There, there are programs out there, and I'm going to turn it back over to him and let him elaborate on that. But yeah, there's a way to go about getting that done in one program under one policy. You go ahead and take that over, Mr. Hawkins. Yeah, there's a policy that you can buy that starts out as a term, that builds cash value, mm-hmm. gives you a return of premium, has critical care illnesses programs in place uh, if something happens uh, with your health, and that policy also can be a paid-up endowment policy at the end of 20 or 30 years. Um, uh, that's a program that you can buy uh, with a company. Uh, there's only one company I know that has that program, and you can pick your mm-hmm. own amount of money. That you can, I, I tell people, I, I call that a savings program, and so you pick the number right. you want to save based on the policy you're trying to have and ride that out. Now, now with that, you want to still keep what's on the job. Uh, you may have to buy an additional, you know, if you need a million dollars additional coverage, you can buy that temporarily, but this particular policy allows you to accomplish the specific goal of covering all those things in a base model, and then um, you can uh, invest in your 401K, uh, your 403B, your IRA, your 457 to build substantial retirement. Hopefully, you have a pension on your job. If you don't work for the state or the federal government, hopefully you have a pension that um, will give you a, a some portion of your retirement income. Um, I'm not here to tell you that it's easy. I'm here to tell you that it's very doable, 
Um, I'm not here to tell you that it's something that uh, you can't pay attention to. It's something that you have to be deliberate intention and purpose on. And if you uh, would look up a book called What Do the Rockefellers Do? It's the classic example of how they've been able for generations to pass on wealth still uh, to the tune of 50 to $75 million a year to charity and take care of some 200-plus people in the family uh, just using a simple life insurance contract. And so we'd like to be able to expand on that. And uh, James could be uh, a person they can contact, and I'd be happy to assist him in, in whatever he wants to do with anybody that's interested. But it's serious business, and uh, I just encourage people to know the facts. And the more information you have, the better decisions you can make. And if somebody's trying to off-sell you a policy, uh, you want to find out whether, okay, is this convertible? What else does this policy do? Does it only work if I die? Well, I don't want that policy. I want the one that works mm-hmm. if I live. Okay? Right. Right. Now, let me ask you, because you said before, as we started talking about this, you're talking about you can be using that as a savings tool. Um, I have a friend of mine, I know James said he used to work with Prime America. I have a friend of mine that worked with Prime America, and, and they were saying that if, you know, the it takes so long for money to start to grow in a permanent policy that you should buy term and invest the difference. Um but you're saying I can use it as a savings tool. How is this different? It's different in understanding two pots of money. Um, I'm, I'm totally an advocate of buy-term invest the difference. And uh, mm-hmm. I worked with Prime America for about six and a half years, the youngest vice president promoted within that company. Um, and I know for a fact that 85 to 90% of the people never invest the difference. And so yeah. as a result of them saving money on their particular insurance program, um, the person that saw them, for the most part, uh, if they were not an RBP with the company, they don't have a license, I mean, an investment license. Uh, and secondly, when they go to talk to them about saving the $50 a month or the $100 a month, which will, over the next 30 years, accumulate to be a, a tremendous savings program, most people never get that. And so because mm-hmm. they never get it, the result is this is dismal, and when they get 60, 65 years old, they still need cash. I'm not saying that your uh, policy that builds up cash value, the policy that uh, becomes a permanent policy, I'm not saying that it's going to make you financially independent. I'm saying you pick a number that you can afford on a monthly basis, and through a forced savings program, you have all those benefits in place. I still believe that you need to invest the difference in a 401K, an IRA, okay, or a mutual mm-hmm. fund. I'm not, I'm not right. saying you don't do that. I'm saying you do that in addition to it. But I'm saying the results of most people is that they don't do that, and so that's why you have so many people uh, that are uh, 50, 85 years of age. As a matter of fact, it's 27 million of them in America, and they can't come up with $2,000. That number, when you look at the statistical data, will go to by 2039, it will go to 87 million people. And when you talk wow. about net worth of the individuals that are out there, the female African-American net worth today is $16. And by 2053, the net worth of all brown and black people will be net zero. So I'm not saying that people won't win by investing in the difference. I'm saying that the masses have proven that they need a forced savings program, just like they need to take the money out of the bank as opposed to using a debit card or credit card. And so I agree with everything. I'm just saying what's going to be practical for the person in middle America that's not able Mm -hmm. to currently produce that particular result. Right. Now, the, you said also that it could be used as a retirement supplement to you. Um, how was that? 
I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. Uh, yeah, another time. thing that, that it could be used as retirement supplement too. Can you go into further detail yeah. about how it be used? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Seventy-five percent of every dollar that you put into your life insurance policy uh, will come back to you in what's called a return of premium that's cash to you tax-free in the 10, 20, or 30 years. So all you're doing is you're getting a portion of your premiums back as a tax-free benefit to you. It's not going to be enough to retire you at $500,000 or $800,000 a year because you're not putting very much into it. But I'm letting you know that there's uh, the policy that's available where you get 75% of your money back at the end of 10, 20, or 30 years. And uh, that's a benefit to you, which means you, you paid literally uh, 25% of the actual cost, net cost, of an insurance policy, which is dirt, dirt, dirt cheap because of the fact that right. you realized that you bought a policy that said, I'm probably not going to die within the next 10, 20, 30 years, so I get the option of getting all my money back, 75% of my money back, or taking a paid-up policy of up to 75% of the face amount of the initial policy. So it, it's a phenomenal program. It sounds like you're an advocate for buy-term invested difference, and I am too. I, I'm totally financially independent, and I've done that with uh, investing the difference. But as looking at clients making $100,000 a year and less, a lot of them have not been fortunate enough to accumulate money. The average amount in the 401k today is about $104,000 across America. And that's not going to put anybody in any substantial place. And to, to carry that with most will not have life insurance when they're 70 or 80 years old, it's, uh, it's a sad commentary. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, another um, thing that I've come across is when you build that cash value up. Um, in a permanent policy, the thought that it, or how it was explained to me um, is that ideally I want to have that money in my cash value because I'm going to be able to access that tax-free. Is is that accurate? That's accurate. Any money that's in a cash value policy um, is tax-free mm-hmm. up until the amount that it does not exceed the premium that you put in as far as a withdrawal or distribution. If you take it out mm-hmm. as a loan, it's always tax-free. Um, when you do your mutual funds inside of your life insurance policy through a variable universal life insurance contract, it's still a tax-free event when you borrow against that investment. So the answer to that is absolutely correct. Uh, you can have the policy where it reduces your face amount, which is option A or option 1, or you can have a policy with option B called extended additional insurance that you purchase, and it gives you the death benefit of the insurance plus the cash value. But you get an opportunity to choose which program best fits your needs when you sit down with the financial professional like James. So what you're saying is I have to borrow my own money? Yeah, absolutely. You want to borrow your own money because if I withdraw my money from my mutual fund, I pay taxes on that money. And if you're at a tax rate with the dividends or income, it's going to be 20 and 30 and 40 percent. I'm in a 48 percent tax bracket state and federal. So I would not want to take a half million dollars out of my million-dollar mutual fund portfolio or 401K or IRA because it's going to cost me half in taxes. I'd be much better off borrowing that money at zero interest from my cash value and my life insurance policy. Well, I can borrow at zero interest? Yeah, zero interest. Yeah. Wow. Well, what, hap- what, happens in that- what happens in that equation is they credit mm-hmm. you at 
uh, 4%, you borrowed at 4%, so it's called what's called a wash loan. As long as it doesn't okay. become a modified endowment contract based on 7702 of the Internal Revenue Code. It gets pretty complex, which is why most people won't get it. And uh, I'm so excited that you're having this form, and we'd love for people to have more information. But unfortunately, the people with Fire America or the people that sell term insurance or the people that just sell investments, uh, they're not what's called a trusted advisor. So they don't have enough knowledge to make an intelligent decision about the long-term program of what you're trying to accomplish. And if I'm buying a $10 million building and the bank tells me I need $10 million for life insurance for the next thing is why I pay it off, well, that's bought for a particular purpose. But if I'm trying to leave a million dollars in tax-free money to my family, I can do that with estate taxes, uh, which exceed $11 million. I can do that with a life insurance policy. And so there's some phenomenal things to do. It's just a matter of where the person is. But um, when we're talking about middle America, man, this is uh, the most dynamic thing in the world. Gotcha, gotcha. And then I guess the question is, if, if this is the most dynamic, why aren't more people doing it? Well, first of all, you're talking with somebody that knows how to do it, number one. Number two, okay. life insurance is about a story told as opposed to something sold. And so you don't have the complex opportunity to sit with someone and talk to them about all these details because you don't have enough people that's out there telling the story. And so the products right. are available, but you don't have enough people. Now, the majority population is getting it in like you can't believe. Uh, their wealth and net worth is increasing. When someone dies, it, it creates a phenomenal state. But the percentage are very right. small in middle America, white, black, brown people, um, and especially in the African-American community. So that's, it's, it's not that information is not out there. It's nobody telling the story so that it can be sold to the right prospective customer. And uh, I, I want to apologize for that. We're trying to hire as many people as possible, but we're working after okay. the people have already went through uh, the uh, demographics of trying to save, trying to invest. And we have 27 million people. People call our thousand advertisements from New Jersey to Georgia. And right now I have 8,000 people that I don't have enough agents to get with, and, we, and we're doing a million dollars a month in premium. And so there's a mm -hmm. huge demand for more agents just in the senior market. But when you go to James Hawkins, I guess he can answer that question because he's been in that space. I, I deal with the higher net worth individuals in my firm. Um, uh, I've worked with a lot of people in middle America over the decades. But now I'm uh, resonating to people that are a little bit more fluent. But Jay Hawkins, maybe you can answer that question. James? Did we lose James? Yes, I, yes, I am here. Okay. Hello? Yeah, yeah, we got you. Now, first of all, let me just go on record and say Primary is one of the most fabulous companies ever been built, some of the best agents I ever had the opportunity to work with. And I totally should believe in my turn to invest different, as, as Mr. Hawkins has uh, stated here earlier. Uh, but the question you have is about can you rephrase your question, please, me? Well, the as we were talking about, you can use permanent insurance as a savings tool. You can use it as a retirement supplement tool. Um, my question was, why aren't more people? Well, for the same for the same reason, everybody's not putting their money in the bank. Folks do what they know. Most folks put their money in the bank because that's what they know. So folks are very comfortable doing things they are familiar with. So what that. That particular concept is not a very familiar concept with a lot of folks. So folks have a lot of questions concerned when it comes to that. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. The only reason a lot of people are not doing it is because of the 
familiarization, a lack of it. So, again, mm-hmm. folks have the tendency to do things that they know. Why do most folks put their money in the bank? Because that's what they know. So that's what, that's what they know, and that's where they feel safe. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Which, so until you sit so, down and talk to someone and get the proper information and the concept and as mm-hmm. to how it works, only then does it make sense. But now, here's, here's the key to that. You know, that's why the, uh, the uh, financial assessment, financial needs analysis, all those things are so important. The upfront work, because first of all, this program is not for everybody. Okay. The, um, what, who is this most ideal for? Okay, let, let me ask that question because he, he was inaccurate with what he just said. The program is designed for everybody that can qualify that's serious about saving some money because it can go down to it can go down it can go down to very low levels. Okay, um, the, the, the issue is whether the person will sit down and understand the concept and really talk about their long term planning. So it's really for everybody. I mean, if if if, if, it, if they can't get um, the bigger contracts, they can get smaller contracts. It's really designed for everybody, okay? Thank you. Right. Well, right. thank you for correcting me. I was thinking something else, but you're absolutely right when it comes to that type of con- that program. You're absolutely Thank you for making that correction. Right. Yes, sir. So, so any and everybody should be looking at this program. Absolutely. The now, they have to be talking. Now, let me say this, okay? You have to be talking mm-hmm. to someone who knows what they're talking about, okay? Mm-hmm. I just got in a wreck yeah. in my Bentley on Friday morning. Jay Hawkins actually pulled his there when he saw me. My wife pulled up in a convertible Mercedes to pick me up to take me to urgent care. Now, this is the deal. I can't take that Bentley over to the Ford shop to get it fixed. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay? That, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. So the first thing I have to do is I have to be able to know that the person I'm speaking with can help me. So if I say I want the cheapest insurance in the world, um, that's going to be a renewable term or a 10-year term Mm -hmm. product, and I've got to be preferred, Mm -hmm. preferred, preferred. If I say I want a convertible policy, that's a different policy. If I say I want a policy with critical illnesses in it, that's a different policy. If I say I want a policy Mm -hmm. with cash accumulation, I get my money back, that's a different policy. If I say I want the cash value to be in a mutual fund or a fixed index type of a product, that's a different kind of policy. So the whole idea is mm-hmm. to sit down with the customer, as James said a minute ago, and have the people learn more information so they can make an intelligent decision. And mo- most people, unfortunately, don't get the pleasure of doing that because they're in such a hurry and they're talking to someone that's telling the product as opposed to talking about their long-term future. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how do you find somebody? What's the best way to find somebody that knows what you're talking about? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. That person comes from a referral in most cases. Um, and okay. uh, Jane Talking is the person to start with. And uh, he, he can get his information and we'd absolutely uh, be willing to collaborate together. Uh, we have a firm in Atlanta. But they're, they're really all over the place. You can find the people. Uh, it's just a matter of setting a form and allowing them to get started. Right, right, okay, all right. So, James, can you provide us contact information so our listeners can reach out to you? What you say? Background, what did you say again, sir? You need, your, you need your contact information. Oh, my contact information is 803-546-9581. That's Shane Parker. And I will give you my contact information, my direct cell phone number, 
Um, it's uh, Dell D E L Hawkins, and it's eight zero three two six nine seven six seven eight. And I'll take any information and questions, and uh, James and I will collaborate to find out what's the best way to serve anybody in the audience, whether they live in uh, Florida, whether they live in California. We have agents all over the country. Okay. Great, great. Well, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, a lot of good information. A lot of information that we need to go and, and find out and have opportunity to sit down. So, we're good. Well, I definitely appreciate it. And hopefully we can get you all back on sometime as we further this conversation. We, we, we'd love to. Also, I want to give you a, a, a website. It's called PremierLegacy.net. Okay. PremierLegacy.net. And they can go to that site and they can see some people and it's probably about 50 or 60 of our people that's on that site. And they can just gather information um, and uh, have someone just give them all the information. Because information is powerful, so I don't want anybody to make a decision without all the information necessary for their situation. Okay? Okay. PremierLegacy.net. PremierLegacy.net. PremierLegacy.net, yes. Uh-huh. Well, hey, well, thanks a lot. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Thank you very much.
Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Slance of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. Today we have an abbreviated show. Um, we wanted to definitely talk a little bit of financial literacy, which was great talking to both of those guys. You know, Mr. Jerome Hurt. Um, just talk about what are some of the things that you got to do to put yourself in position to be more financially literate. And the first thing he talked about was having a conversation about money. And I think that's so important because I think there's a lot of times that you don't have that conversation about money. You know, it's it's not something that's that's talked about a lot in households now. And partly because I don't know how many people actually sit around the dinner table and talk like you used to, you know, 25, 30 years ago um, when some of those conversations used to happen. But another part of that conversation is talking about how credit works, talking about budgeting, talking about the stock market, talking about making sure that you have three to six months of savings in the bank. These are all some of the beginning phases, excuse me, phases of making sure that you have that financial literacy. He talked about life insurance, which our next group talked about in more detail. Um, but, you know, one of the big things that he talked about from a budgeting standpoint, which makes a lot of sense, is instead of keep using your debit card, Take money out of the account. Anticipate what you're going to use for that week. Take that money out of that account. Um, still, both ways, you got to be very conscious of keeping your receipt because you want to know where your money goes. But there is a emotional aspect of putting that $20 bill down and getting change back to, to the point where sometimes you're like, you know what, I'd rather go on and bring my lunch than keep spending this money. Whereas if I'm just putting the plastic on the table, it's a little bit easier because it's not real money. So because it's not real money, then you're not as quick to have that thought about, oh, I'm spending money, which that's kind of what happens in casinos. You know, in casinos, they don't give you real money. They give you chips. And the reason being is because it's a chip, it doesn't feel like real money, so you're not emotionally tied to it. So therefore, you're much easier to say, huh, let me go on and bet this than if you just had $10,000 in your hand you wouldn't be as quick to go and throw that on the table. But if it's four or five chips, it's going to push it and go. So there is an, an emotional part of that budgeting piece. Then we started talking a little bit about life insurance. Um, with, with both, we had James Hawkins and Dale Hawkins uh, on the line. Um, one been in the industry for over 13 years, the other one for 34 years. And just talking about how life insurance can be a tool a tool for savings, a tool to supplement your retirement, a tool to leave wealth for the next generation. And that's something that we got to think about because way too often I think people think of life insurance as death insurance, whereas no, it's life insurance. It's stuff that you can use during your lifetime. And I think if that mentality changes, then all of a sudden you're going to have more people that are protected because you can leave a legacy to your family. And the book that I that he talked about that I'm definitely going to pick up is what what the Rockefellers do. And talk about how life insurance has enabled them to continue having multiple, multiple millionaires in their family and just keeping that cash flowing through their family. And, you know, another thing that he did is talk about term. I think term is definitely a, a product that 
you need because it is a little cheaper insurance, but the fact is 2% of the term policies are actually paid out. Um, so having that permanent insurance, I think, is just from that conversation is also extremely important as well. But financial literacy something that, that you've got to go on and continue to work on. It's a conversation you've got to have. It's Some of it is you've got to sit down and, and read some books on your own. You've got to go to some webinars, go to some seminars, and just learn as much as you can. Because I truly believe the more financial literate you are, the better position you're going to be to help you and your family be successful. Uh, again, tonight, we've got a shortened show. I appreciate everybody tuning in. And tomorrow we'll be back to, uh, excuse me, next week we'll have a full show for you and look forward to that. You all have a great night and we'll see you next week.
styles. For me, Miles, it's DJ Trebex. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.